Philippians 2, it says this, If then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not uh, look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. When he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. God, I pray that we would be more about your heart and your mission than we are about our own defenses, Lord, our own comfort, our own attempts at trying to prove that we are right. God, I pray we'd be a people of humility that would take on the same mindset as you. God, give us supernatural compassion. God, naturally, we are prideful people. On our own, we cannot attain this unity that you call us to. Lord, I pray that we would be filled by the Holy Spirit, Lord, to have this unity, to fight for that unity to be of the same mind and the same love. God, we have made an idol of comfort. Lord, I pray that you would make us uncomfortable. I pray that you would disrupt the things in our lives that are required to be more like you. I pray that we would see that discipleship and justice go hand in hand. Lord, let us not just sit back and be comfortable in these moments, Lord. Let us do the same work, Lord. Let us empty ourselves just like you did. Lord, I pray we would be people of love that truly care about people. That we put people over our point of view, over our politics. Lord, that we would be the light of the world. God, I thank you that you give us hope in these moments, that you give us strength, and that you give us courage. Lord, I pray a blessing over every person that's listening to this. Lord, we love you. In your name I pray. Amen. Hey, line up! Line up! Everybody line up! We're about to race. Everybody line up. Shoulder to shoulder. Take off your backpacks. Basketball, line up. We're about to race. Hey, we are we are racing for a hundred dollar bill. The winner of this race will take this. It's a hundred dollar bill. Before I say go, I'm gonna make a couple statements. If those statements apply to you, 
I want you to take two steps forward. If those statements don't apply to you, I want you to stay right where you're at. Take two steps forward if both of your parents are still married. Take two steps forward if you grew up with a father figure in the home. Take two steps forward if you had access to a private education. Take two steps forward if you had access to a free tutor growing up. Take two steps forward if you've never had to worry about your cell phone being shut off. Take two steps forward if you've never had to help mom or dad with the bills. Take two steps forward if it wasn't because of your athletic ability, you don't have to pay for college. Take two steps forward if you never wondered where your next meal was going to come from. I want you guys up here in the front just to turn around and look. Every statement I've made has nothing to do with anything any of you have done. Has nothing to do with decisions you've made. Everything I've said has nothing to do with what you've done. We all know these people up here have a better opportunity to win this hundred dollars. Does that mean these people back here can't race? No. We would be foolish to not realize we've been given more opportunity. We don't want to recognize that we've been given a head start. But the reality is we have. Now, there's no excuse. They still got to run their race. You still got to run your race. But whoever wins this hundred dollars, I think it'd be extremely foolish of you not to utilize that and learn more about somebody else's story. Because the reality is, if this was a fair race and everybody was back on that line, I guarantee you some of these black dudes would smoke all of you. And it's only because you have this big of a head start that you're possibly going to win this race called life. That is a picture of life, ladies and gentlemen. Nothing you've done has put you in the lead that you're in right now. When I say go, on your mark, get set, go. If you didn't learn anything from this activity, you're a fool.
Well, hello everybody. Uh, we are back, Jeffrey, Dorian. Uh, man, so good. We've spent more time together in the last yeah, three weeks than absolutely. any time in our whole lifetime. Uh, we're not, we're not going to bother to introduce ourselves again this week. Uh, if you don't know who we are, you need to uh, go back and watch the the previous weeks on whatever church website you want to, because we're everywhere. Um, and uh, but today, uh, I want to start by just uh, saying something that I think is extremely important. Um, in all this conversation about uh, injustice and racial equality and everything that we're talking about and all the all the scripture that God has given us and everything that we're putting in front of you I would tell you that today we're probably going to go deeper than we've gone at any point here because we understand that uh, that things are really deep what what we're talking about is not something that can quickly be dealt with and glossed over and and, and I'll tell you uh, I've heard so many people and my first response as I was you know being made aware of all of this our response typically has been okay I've heard enough what do we do right yeah. we always want to go do something we got to fix something um, but I, I, I my one of my kids my oldest daughter Jennifer gave me a book uh, that talked about uh, it was a lot of things that Martin Luther King taught and one of the things that he said in his book where do we go from here he, he's being very candid and and um, so he goes he, he's talking about white people and he says whites it must be frankly said are not putting in a mass effort to re-educate themselves I'll call ourselves <laughs> out of their racial ignorance we're not putting enough effort into learning um, they believe they have so little to learn. Wow. And um, that was 50 years ago that he wrote that. And, and honestly, 50 years ago, we didn't have a lot of tools. Uh, we didn't have, there, our history books had nothing to offer uh, people where I grew up, right? Same. So, so we, you would have to go dig. Today, we have all the information that you could ever want right in front of us and we need to learn that's why we're not pushing for answers today we're going to get to that but we're pushing for listening and learning and hopefully we can start moving into to loving um i don't know where you guys are with some of that dory we were just talking about that yeah no i'm so glad to to be here and a part of this conversation and for me personally i had to repent of some things. I had to repent because I realized that I hadn't allowed these issues to convict me and touch my heart in the way that they should have. And that really has led me on a path of, of learning and, and really searching out. Uh, after I repented, and which is not just you know saying I'm sorry, but really having a change of mind and a change of heart, I began to search out, God, what is it that you would have us to do? And on this same topic is, is for me to learn. I started watching documentaries. I started Rewatching some documentaries. <laughs> um, I started uh, just reading and having conversations to see what do we need to do and what is the issue, what are, are the problems. And as a result of that, I, feel, I do feel more at peace in my soul because I know that now I have to respond, I have to be a part of the solution. Um, but there is uh, there's some tension um, because we're all responding differently. Uh, but even though there is some tension, and what I was sharing uh, in a conversation with Pastor Greg and, and, and our, our guest here, Pastor Jeffrey, and our guest is 
that there is an opportunity for us right now. And we're starting this here with this opportunity to learn. There's an opportunity that God has opened. And there's uh, a scripture, a passage of scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 9. I want to just read this to you. You can take a look at this later. 1 Corinthians 16, 9. Paul says, for a great and effective door has opened to me and there are many adversaries. Hmm. And mm-hmm. as Paul was, was sharing this, it was, a, it was actually a door that God had opened for him to go in to reach the Gentiles with the gospel. And I believe right now in America and especially in the church, there's a great and effective door that yeah. God has opened for us. Yeah. Yeah. But let us not be uh, ignorant. There are many adversaries and the, the number one adversary is the devil, is Satan. And so we're here today to to quiet Satan, to to cancel him, to Amen. rebuke, and to to share the truth, Amen. and for us to all come together and learn. So I'm looking forward to hearing uh, from our guests and having more dialogue on this. Yeah. yeah, you know, it's interesting you say that. I I would say this in my entire lifetime, and including back in the '60s and '70s when we started seeing all this stuff on 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 you know unroll in front of us. I don't know that I've ever sensed more in my in all this time the opening that's there. Um, I'm, I I can only speak to for myself for the most part, but right now I sense that this this thing that's going on in our country it it's this isn't going to be over quickly, and I'm finding more white Christ followers more than ever before willing to say oh my gosh i didn't know this where have i been what do i need to do i mean i such an open heart that that and yes we're going to have to walk that out we're going to have to learn more and listen more and love more we're going to have to become active in this we have you can't just you know have a good church service and then forget it all right but mm-hmm. right now I'm sensing something. I don't know, Jeffrey, you may want to comment on this too. I'm mm-hmm. sensing something that we haven't seen ever yeah. in my lifetime. Yeah, no, that's so good. It's certainly, and you've lived a lot longer than I have. I'll just point that out. <laughs> yeah, you, Even though I don't have the hair and you've got the hair. <laughs> um, but I think you're, you're so right. Um, in, in my short lifetime, I've, I've not seen this. And I think that I, I can speak for all three pastors here, but... Let me just say, especially for City Hills, I, I'm so glad. I, it was my intent to just plant here mm-hmm. for a little while because I think for too long um, we just want to gloss over and move on. And um, as, as Dorian brought out of the scripture there, that, that there has been an opportunity open to us. And before we come up with solutions and resolution, we were talking the other day and brought out the scripture that Accord, at least if you want to go according to the Bible, which is always a good thing, right? <laughs> if you want to go according from a biblical worldview, the kingdom of God, it's in black and white. It's there. The letters, the words are there. The kingdom of God is established and founded on justice and righteousness. Yes. That is what his kingdom yes. is established on. And so how can we, um, how can we combat injustice if we're ignorant of it? And that's why I'm so glad that we're taking a few Sundays here just to listen and to learn. Uh, Proverbs 4, written by Solomon, who Scripture tells us is one of the wisest men ever um, to live. He says this, get wisdom. 
develop, which means there's got to be some work in it, um, develop good judgment. You don't just get good judgment. You have to develop it. You have to spend some time working on it. Good. Don't forget my words or turn away from them, he said. And then he says this, getting wisdom is the wisest thing yeah. you can do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think in order for us to get wisdom, again, we, we tend to be really aggressive sometimes at let me do something. But we have to stop, slow down, listen and learn in order for us to acquire the wisdom to put into action if we're going to be about building the kingdom of God, which is founded on justice and righteousness. Um, we first have to get some wisdom, get some understanding. And so I'm excited about last yeah. week. I'm excited about this week. I think we're going to learn some more today. We're going to go deeper today, like you said, and it's going to be good. Gonna Gives be good. me a chance to push a book. Yep. Um, <laughs> I, I don't think... I, I, it's great that we're all talking about issues and things and everything that, that's going on. That's all. It's essential. But it has to be kingdom-based. It has to be focused on God's word. And, and, be, and for us to sit up here and, and talk about these things, it, we, just, we just have to have uh, a biblical foundation mm -hmm. to build on. Yeah. One of my heroes is, is a guy by the name of Tony Evans. If you, don't, if you haven't heard of him, the guy's amazing. I met Tony in 1984. Um, I, was, uh, you, I was a chaplain to the Redskins from 82 to 88. Tony was the uh, chaplain to, uh, the, hate to say it, uh, the Dallas Cowboys at the same time. <laughs> but um, I did a better job than Tony <laughs> because when, we were, when I was doing this, we, we beat him all the time. Anyway, let's move on. Uh, he wrote this book, Oneness Embraced, and it is the best book I have read in terms of a biblical foundation for the discussions that we're having. Mm -hmm. This is amazing. This, uh, it, it is an amazing book. Tony Evans, Oneness Embraced. Um, you can't even get the, 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 the hard copy anymore. Uh, at least it's, it's been sold out now for the last four or five weeks, obviously. Uh, but you can download it on Kindle. Uh, if you have access to that, it's a great book. I want to introduce, uh, we've got some guests with us today. And uh, I want to introduce Mike Pra. And after I introduce you, Mike, uh, we're gonna we're gonna move on, and we're gonna come back to you. Sure. Um, I love this man. He is one of the uh, most humble and smartest people I've ever met in my life. Um, he has a, a background in finance and business, and he got, uh, went to University of Maryland for, for business school. He has a master's in business and theology from Liberty University. And divinity. And, and <laughs> divinity, yeah, my gosh, another one. He just keeps, <laughs> keeps getting better and better. Um, what, I, what I love most about him, though, is he is a bivocational pastor. He planted a church. He's been doing that for over 30 years now, uh, pastoring and teaching. He's an author and uh, just an amazing guy. He, uh, he has worked in, in the executive level of, of Riggs Bank uh, as a vice president for 15 years. And then Riggs got purchased by PNC, I think. And you've been with PNC another 15 years. So you're a, a three-decade uh, executive there. He, the guy knows a lot of stuff. And he's going to be sharing a lot of that uh, with us as we go through. Jeffrey, why don't you introduce your friend uh, Jeremiah to us? And Absolutely. Absolutely. This is Jeremiah Mosteller. He has been part of our congregation at City Hills Church for about four years now. Like, not long after we launched, um, God sent. 
<laughs> Jeremiah to our church, and he is just an unbelievable guy. And I'm going to let him do the rest of it because I tell people all the time when they ask me what he does, I get it wrong every time. <laughs> so I'm going to I'm going to let him talk now. Yeah, glad awesome. to hear Jeremiah. Thanks, Pastor Jeffrey. Um, so yes, I am here today as an individual that attends City Hills Church and a member of the volunteer team there. But I'm here because of my day job. In my day job for the past few years, I've been working to advance criminal justice reform. For years before these conversations even started, I've been working to solve some of the problems that we're talking about today at an even higher level. Um, I do want to make the caveat since I'm an attorney that I'm not here representing either my current or previous organizations. I'm here as an individual. <laughs> so please do not let anything I say be taken as an official stance of any of those yeah, entities. And we've all had to sign waivers. So, typical <laughs> to talk to so now that the disclaimer is over, um, I want to make another disclaimer uh, because we're going to talk about some hard things today and we're going to talk about data and we're going to talk about facts and we're going to learn. But I want to make it very clear that when I'm talking today, the majority of police officers, prosecutors, and others involved in our justice system are good people. They're there to serve our communities. Right. We have bad That's apples. Right. These instances, these events, and previous ones show us those bad apples <laughs> exist. But what I really want to focus on today is problems with the criminal justice system. And I'm talking about the system, not the individuals who make up that system. Because the problems permeate that system, and they should not reflect any individual who works in that system who is trying to be ethical and who is trying to do their job to ensure public safety and to help their community. Because many times the problems in our system prevent even the most well-meaning people from doing what they need to do to help the individuals they're interacting with throughout the system. But saying that, the reality of the data and the research shows that the black community in America is over-criminalized, over-policed, and over-incarcerated. Hmm. Hmm. Um, from the beginning, the way our laws are written, we have used our criminal law as a one-size-fits-all solution to the problems we see in society that aren't criminal problems. We use it against people who are dealing with substance abuse. We use it against people who have mental health problems. We use it against those who are simply stuck in poverty or in involved in some type of disfavored activity that we as a society, uh, largely a Caucasian-run society, have decided is a disfavored activity. Mm. And the reality is those laws impact black and brown people to an overwhelming majority. Mm. Mm. And that's starting from the beginning. That's not even how we're applying the law. The law is written in a way that there is a disproportionate impact on those communities. Yeah. Mm. And then we shift to the enforcement. The black community is over-policed, and if you look at the data, it's proven. We actually had a study released just this year in May that showed that black individuals were 40% more likely to be pulled over by law enforcement. And that's looking at 95 million stops across the country from 65 different police departments. Wow. These police departments are not all in Georgia. They're not all in Alabama. They're <laughs> everywhere. Yeah. They're of different sizes, different communities, and different states. Wow. And this showed that... Even though the same data showed that police, when they searched individuals who are black, were less likely to find contraband than when they searched individuals that were white whenever they pulled them over. Wow. We also know this continues with ticketing. In one suburban community, the data showed that black individuals were more likely to be ticketed than white individuals to the number of 18 to 1. The way we're applying the law through policing is not working and it's not pushing forward public safety. It's impacting and it's harming these communities. Jeremiah, I think you said this, but you need to say it again. Yeah. 
the organization that you work for that is compiling this data is not a political party. Yeah. It's bipartisan. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you said something that I didn't even know. It is, it is intentionally 50-50 mm -hmm. on the partisan scale. Yes. Is that correct? Yes, that permeates so we're not, our board, we're not, our staff, our partners. We're not taking a right or a left look at this. Exactly. We're taking, this is the yeah. real stuff. And actually, to be completely candid, I myself come, come from a conservative perspective. So if you want to look me up online, you can learn more about that. <laughs> but I'm coming to these issues from a conservative perspective because I care about human dignity. I care about public safety and I care about justice and fairness in yeah. our justice system. Yeah. And so that's the perspective I'm coming from. So everyone knows where I'm coming from. And the last thing I just want to talk about, uh, the third point of that is the over incarceration of these communities. Um, we have 2.2 million individuals incarcerated in our country today. While black individuals make up 12% of the U.S. population, they are 33% of our prison population. And I know a lot of times you hear from people, well, those statistics don't, that, that doesn't matter. We don't know that there's actually causation there. Well, if you look at the overwhelming body of research that has studied this topic for years and years and years, even when you control for crime rates, even when you control for other factors and differences between communities, black individuals are more likely to be arrested, more likely to receive a punishment of incarceration versus an alternative, more likely to receive a longer prison sentence, more likely to be incarcerated while they're waiting for trial, but also less likely to have their charges dropped or reduced by prosecutors, and less likely to be released from prison on parole. So the point I really wanna make is, the problems permeate the system. While we're talking about policing right now, and that's an important conversation, the problems exist throughout the system. And in case anybody's thinking, well, I'm cherry picking studies, I'm cherry picking data, feel free to reach out to me. I have pages and pages and pages of research I can send you. you can they come to data. the same conclusion <laughs> yeah. consistently. So, well, I so I, I'm sitting here thinking, you could have been in the movie The 13th, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because, or 13th, I yeah. should say. Uh, because this is, have you guys all seen that? Yeah. 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 I mean, that's a, that is, uh, that's what we're, we're talking about here. Uh, I find it interesting that this is coming from, from a, a neutral position, a, a bipartisan position, and, um, and it's for real. These are things I've never thought about. I've never known. I, I always saw the, the, the byproduct of it, mm -hmm. yeah. but I, I've never seen, seen the root. Mike, um, you are, you have seen this firsthand from a business level and from a pastoral level, just your mission, your heart right. of mission. Um, you've seen a, a cyclical pattern that we talked about the other day. Mm -hmm. uh, could, could you take a moment and just talk about what this looks like on the street right. and, and how it affects uh, black young people especially. I'd be glad to do that. And uh, just like Jeremiah, let me just uh, put in that disclaimer, I'm not here like in the function of my, my day job, my employer. Uh, these are observations and sentiments and just my role in the community, working with people. Uh, so just to piggyback on the, the, the themes that he talked about, the over-incarceration rate, first and foremost, you know, from, from where I said, really uh, has caused a huge emotional bug backlash mm -hmm. in the black population. I mean, when you have you know, a group of people over a long period of time who are made to feel like they are second-class citizens, 
it has an emotional toll. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah. so the people that I interact with, you can tell the average black person, in my view, needs more emotional support than the white Caucasian person mm-hmm. based on everything that we've talked about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there is an inherent fear. Uh, when you have people who uh, the least crime or the least offense or, you know, are being put in jail for a, a long amount of time, it, it does bear on the psyche of an individual. And we see that mm. having a ripple effect. Yes. Uh, I mean, we all know that as human beings, you know, we have an in, in, innate potential to do well. Uh, but when you are in a state where you feel like, boy, what happens if I slip? Things are going to go bad. Right. Well, it mm-hmm. really ties in on that passion, that drive to yes. want to mm-hmm. go on and, and, and take a chance and take risk in life. And so we see that uh, at a very, very young age, uh, you, you can see. Uh, and, uh, you know, God bless those individuals who are pouring into black communities, encouraging young people, trying to give them dignity. And as parents, you know, as a... As a uh, you know, we know that we have, I have to do that for my kids. I need to encourage right. them. I need to motivate them. I need to know, I need to let them know that they are special, they are talented, they are gifted. Uh, I guess more so from a black perspective than a white perspective. Mm. So the first is that, that, that emotional yes. backlash and heartburn where you've got a class of people based on the over-incarceration feeling like, you know what, I'm prone to fail. Uh, and I mean, when we really look at human beings, we all have an innate need, God-given need, to feel significant. We want to be understood. We want to be validated. And when there's a lack there, that when, when, when you, 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 you're just based on all these stats, when you feel like, I don't measure up based on the way society brands me. Mm. We see that on TV. We see that on movies. We see that on the media. Uh, that the black person has been uh, represented uh, not in the same light as the average white person. And so that really drains that psyche. So from a you know, pastor perspective and one who is involved in both young uh, and old people, we really see that a lot going on. Yeah. Uh, we have to encourage uh, 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 you know, our, our, uh, our black families. We need to really let them know that they are special, they are valued in the eyes of God to try to really drain out some of that stuff that's been going on over the years, which is the over-incarceration, over-criminalization. Now, from my financial background, one of the things that I see is also the lack of opportunity. Um, You were talking about the 13th. Right. uh, Great act, but it opened the window, Mm -hmm. which is that criminal crop. I'm a clause. Mm. You know, that, when you are tagged as a criminal, all the rights that are given Mm -hmm. legally doesn't pertain to you. Mm -hmm. And so we find, when you talked about over a million people are incarcerated right now in the black population, wow, that's a lot, right? And we have a whole bunch of them who are waiting in the wings, have not even been tried. Uh, We know the bonding system, how expensive it is, and we'll get to the financial impact in a moment. Uh, But we have, you know, a lot of people who, based on the over-criminalization, have a criminal record. What Mm -hmm. does it mean? Mm -hmm. It means from a job perspective, they have a huge handicap. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because to get a decent job, someone on that application asks a very, very pronounced question. Have you been, are you a criminal? Have you had a criminal background? Uh, and when the average person, the whole mass of people, mass of the mass in, in incarceration, when you get to that box, it tells you I'm not going to get that job. 
So, you know, I mean, if you think that I'm being biased or cherry-picked, just, just look around. Go even in inner-city areas and look at, for example, Walmart or Target or Costco and look at the composition of the staff over there and ask yourself, where are the black men? I know they live in this area. They shop here. Why are they not working here? Mm-hmm. Well, simply because they will not pass the background check because of over-criminalization. And that 13 mm-hmm. clause that puts in there, but for criminalization. Yeah. That exception clause to say if you're a criminal, well, all rights and privileges that pertain uh, doesn't apply to you. So, so, so now we see that a lot. Uh, and when people cannot get decent job and get a you know, fair wage, well, look at what happens in the fam- family dynamic. And this is a fact, you know, that the, that the average Caucasian family has 10 times more net worth than the black family. Wow. Wow. Ten times more net worth. So, I mean, I mean, Brookings Institute, the survey that just came out, you're more welcome to look at that, is $170,000 average net worth for a Caucasian family, 1700 not an individual, family. Wow. And so look at all the opportunities that really will lay very heavily on a, on a, on a, on a, on a black population, not having the income strata, you know, to be able to live out their can, goals. Can, can we just stop there for a moment? Mm-hmm. Because... I want, to, I want to ask Jeremiah a question, mm-hmm. because I know you've studied this, I, I, and, and I know that this isn't about criminal or, or justice reform so much, but you've been around people who, who've been thinking about this thing. You talk about this. Um, Phil Vischer, this is so funny, he was the creator of VeggieTales, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but he's also an amazing uh, theologian, an amazing sociologist. And, and he just, uh, in one of his podcasts, uh, actually somebody just sent it to me yesterday, he talks about this one-tenth of wealth. Mm-hmm. Uh, the average black household has one-tenth of the wealth of the average white household. Mm-hmm. But then he goes mm-hmm. on to say, this didn't happen by accident. Mm-hmm. It happened by policy. Mm-hmm. We, the majority culture told people where they could live and now we're going back in a little bit of history <laughs> where they could live then we moved most of the jobs to the places that they couldn't live then when poverty took over drug and alcohol bu- abuse increased and then we criminalized the problem yeah. so mm-hmm. so Jeremiah, you, you got any thoughts on that before we come back? Because yeah. I know we've got more to talk about over here with, with yeah. Mike. Mm. So I think um, we've been talking a lot about employers <laughs> and the decisions they can make. And so I want to kind of make a, a point of how all of society impacted this problem that you're talking right. about. Mm-hmm. Um, I would ask people, just go online, search, search the term redlining. <laughs> uh, I can't go into detail about all that. We don't have enough time to talk about that problem uh, yeah. and all of the details there at all. But... If you look at that problem, you can see from conservatives and liberals that talk about this problem now today, it was a concerted effort by the government in collaboration with banks to set particular communities as favored and disfavored. Mm -hmm. You see that they actually drew maps of cities and you can pull up those maps and you can compare them to maps today and see that they chose the neighborhoods that were going to be able to receive funding for housing, for businesses and all types of loans. And that has caused a trend that we can still see today in those communities. Mm-hmm. Most of the communities that we look at today and we want to help the most today are ones that were redlined and mm-hmm. the, the government worked with private entities largely controlled by Caucasian Americans at that time to stop 
money to stop capital from flowing into those communities that could actually help lift them out of poverty. And we see that continue today in the trends and the way that the data looks in those communities. So, and that carried into other industries yeah. besides the banking industry. I come from the insurance industry. Mm -hmm. And up until 20 years ago, uh, there, there was a lot of redlining going on in the insurance industry. You've got the preferred, the questionable, and the non-preferred. Mm -hmm. and, and, and it happened with um, education. Mm -hmm. it, I mean, it just, yeah. it just keeps on going. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, and I, I hear this uh, many times uh, when, when, again, as white people, myself included, you know, we, we haven't thought enough, we haven't learned enough, it would be easy for us to say, well, I came from a poor situation, or I came from this, or I came from that, but we never came from this place, yeah. ever. Yeah. We never came from this planned poverty mm -hmm. program. Right. Right. I don't know what else to call it. Yeah, yeah, it's just so, what it is. Yeah. We, yeah. we created it's, this. So, Mike, <laughs> talk again, let's get back to the cycle, because <laughs> yeah. it, it just keeps going. It, 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 so um, every human being has the potential, God-given potential, to flourish. Mm -hmm. You take a, a, a rose plant, so beautiful, will flourish more in a manicured, cultured, fertilized environment than in a concrete environment. Uh, and we see some of the things that Jeremiah has been talked about and you've, you've brought up so far, really paints the picture that we have a class of people, uh, the average black person, at a huge disadvantage. Uh, with the systemic things that are in play. And so when you have the 13th Amendment that places an exception, a clause to say, all bets are off if you ever have one criminal mark on you, mm -hmm. opportunities are close to you. You can't get a decent job, as I was mm -hmm. talking about. The ripple effect of that, you can get a decent job. Uh, you've got federal financial programs also that has that clause in there. So the average student loan um, also has that clause in there. And so, food stamps. So food stamps. Food stamps so unless you have parents who can do a lot of cash to pay for a four-year college, well, that's one of the reasons why you don't see a lot of African-Americans wow. graduating mm -hmm. because of this very reason. Uh, and that really, so it's, it's a next generation thing. So it's not just one generation, right. it's mm -hmm. the next generation yeah. that is being carried on. Well, how about the ability to start business? Let's say someone has a God-given talent, they want to start a business in a community. Small business loans also has that or, or a business there. license. Business license yeah. also is tied mm -hmm. in with that. And so you have a whole systemic thing that really drives off that over-criminalization. Mm -hmm. A policy that was in place. Uh, let's just say the intent was to curb crime, but look at the ripple effect mm -hmm. that has really placed a heavier burden on a class of people who are being made to feel like they're second-class citizens. Mm -hmm. uh, and from where I sit and where I work for, you see that a lot. You know, people get up in the morning, they feel like, man, you know, it's like I'm fighting with my hand behind me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Life is tough yeah. enough, mm -hmm. but I don't have the brakes. Yeah. Uh, and so they, there's the income limitation uh, when you don't have the income, chances are you're going to default on the loan if you have that opportunity, and everything plays off that, right? Mm -hmm. Health insurance is priced based on your financial picture. Uh, uh, you've got, uh, you know, automobile insurance, you, you life insurance. insurance uh, everything is yeah. really rises off right. that, and so you have the average person who has an income gap, right? Mm -hmm. can, can, you know, really struggling. I mean, you've got a, a family at 10 times less than that. 
Well, there's a, prob there's a probability yeah. that if mishap happens, you're going to miss a payment. Yeah. It's going to affect your credit score. Everything's graded off that. Mm -hmm. And so it's a, it's, that's the issue that really goes on in, in the black population. Uh, and again, this is not to say that the system is bad uh, and people are inherently trying to hold people back, but the structure makes it a lot difficult for one class of people, which is black, to really get ahead than the white population. And I see that. Um, yeah. Average black person really has a lot of roadblocks in their path. Um, and I wanted to say, I, I'm so glad that we're doing this session on, on learning because mm -hmm. we all need to learn. Mm -hmm. My immediate thought about a lot of this information is that it brings up feelings of anger, mm -hmm. uh, anxiety, huh. fear, uh, frustration. Huh. And I know that a lot of people, especially in, in, in the black community, are just tired. Um, I'm glad, first of all, we were talking about this before, I'm glad for this generation, the millennials mm -hmm. that are leading the charge, uh, that, are, that are in the street, that are protesting, that are making mm -hmm. their voices be heard, uh, because of my generation and previous generations that I feel like we you know, turn a blind eye to mm -hmm. some of this stuff. And um, for me, I see that, uh, unfortunately, we allow ourselves to be touched only by the things that hit home. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And yeah. what we need to do as believers, as Christians, as kingdom citizens, is not just allow the things that hit home for us mm -hmm. to affect our hearts, but we really need what the Bible talks about as a circumcision of the heart <laughs> that will allow us to be touched and to empathize with other people. So mm -hmm. as we're learning this information and we're hearing this um, great information about the over uh, policing and uh, about uh, issues with redlining and, and this opportunities uh, that are not afforded to, mm -hmm. to people just because of their color uh, or just because of where they have come from. Yeah. We all of our hearts should be touched, and that's what I, I just feel that yeah. right now. That so, I just want to just just encourage anybody that's watching this video to this point with all this information mm -hmm. that uh, that you receive the peace of God in this. Mm -hmm. But still, we need to learn, and we need to to come together to mm -hmm. be a part of the solution. Yeah. So, Let me just chat to one thing. So, the emotional pieces is um, you know, we, so we have this that play through unconscious bias. Uh, let's just say that people don't know and people are just picking up of, of what they see on their television screens and what they grew up with. Uh, and so the access, just understand that out on the street, the average black person, just based on what has happened, feels like they don't measure up. Hmm. And so, and so the, the, the next thing that happens is a trigger that causes them to reflect on what has happened centuries ago. Uh, so, so, you know, it's, it's the, the notion that the black man is angry and the black man is violent. Uh, the average black man is not violent. They just want to go home. Right. They just want to get a decent job. They mm -hmm. just don't want to be blamed anymore. And so, it's great that these are happening, that all of us need to educate ourselves and really put ourselves in the shoes of someone who has had this history behind them, and it hasn't changed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. And, and, and that the, the best we can do is just be supportive and understanding that the playing field has not been equal. Yes. Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. And connect with people at that level. Yeah. Uh, and I, uh, I, Yeah, let me... Again, if you if you 
don't buy what Mike just said. <laughs> yeah, give us some of those stats. You... Let me give you yeah. the, the statistics. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> in 2006, this was, this was published, uh, one out of 106 white men were behind bars. One out of 14 black men were behind bars. And black men between the ages of 20 to 35, the time when families are being built, mm -hmm. one out of nine were behind bars. This was 2006, so that's 14 right. years ago. Uh, but let's bring it on up to today. Um, uh, the uh, average, well, I already talked about the, the, the one-tenth thing. Um, today, uh, this was another Phil Vischer thing. He showed a, a picture of a young child a white young boy and a white black boy, and he said this. He goes, a white boy has a one, today, with today's stats, today's uh, policing, uh, the, mm -hmm. the criminalization issues, a white boy has a one to 23 chance of going to jail. Mm -hmm. So one out of 23 uh, white children will go to jail. A black boy has a one in four chance mm -hmm. of going to jail mm -hmm. how do you yeah <clears throat> how do you do that how mm -hmm. you know yeah. what what is broken and that's the stuff that breaks my heart just hearing mm -hmm. that and and so my, my son is getting to have a birthday but he had a group of friends over uh this past weekend and it, so there were six of them um all black boys mm -hmm. and my son wanted to go to chick-fil-a to get something to eat and they were all going to walk together and not that something would happen and they would do anything stupid, but in my mind, I was thinking, okay, my son and five of his young black friends are walking to Chick-fil-A. Will yeah. somebody see them walking? Yeah. You talked about mm -hmm. that one in four. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. that, that is, that's the stuff that we live with in, in mm -hmm. our hearts and the, and, yeah. and the fear. And, right, yeah. And, um, you know, you talk about that emotional backlash, right? The talk. Right. The talk. Right. The talk, yeah. yeah. The average white parent doesn't have to have the talk we never have to have talk. yeah yeah we yeah. don't have but that. at a very early age we start that middle school yeah. some even earlier based on the neighborhood you're in mm -hmm. and it's so draining so at a very early age you've been taught that the system yeah. could take you out mm -hmm. uh, and it's uh, it's just so so, so i'm going to say something that you have to be really careful to, as a pastor about what you say, but I'm going to go on a limb here. If I were a black man today, I, I can't, I, I don't understand all the feelings, I don't understand everything, but I know this. I probably wouldn't believe anything that the average white man would say, this, this, is, this needs to happen. In fact, maybe I could even expand on that and say I wouldn't believe any white preacher saying, hey, we've, we've got an answer. Mm -hmm. Because I wouldn't buy it. Because we've had the answer for centuries. For centuries. Yeah. Yeah. And we, we haven't done anything with it. Mm -hmm. And it's not that much better today in terms of us having the answer. Mm -hmm. And I would just... I would just say, at this point, I don't think we've ever been in a place like we've been. Like we opened up with this today. I don't think we've ever been in a place like we are today. Um, and I do think as, as we get the chance in the next several weeks, we're going to talk about some things that we can really do 
more about people that we can really be uh -huh. that could change this. In my opinion, the church is the hope of the world. Yeah. The church is yeah, how this is going to take place. But we can't just learn and listen and sit there. We are going to have to walk this yeah. out yes. in front of our black brothers and sisters yeah. because we need to win mm -hmm. that friendship, that love. I, it, you know, uh, that's how I feel. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's what I'm thinking. Well, that's the plot of the enemy. He, he, he comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And mm -hmm. the plan of the enemy is keep us divided yes. along race lines. Uh, and uh, it's God's institution, God's platform to bring about healing, unity, and reconciliation is the body of Christ. Mm -hmm. uh, there's no Jew or general, no male or female, uh, no black or white. We are one. Mm -hmm. uh, and the thing that brings us together is a set belief that the blood of Jesus uh, saves us and unites us into his family. Mm -hmm. So we can look past where we come from to this new place that he's placed us that sees no color. Uh, but that the love of God permeates through us that we can radiate that and show forth his character. The faithful love of God never ceases. Yeah. Uh, that is what yeah. I believe that... You know, as the church, we can be the bomb for this band-aid that has ripped off the wounds and is spilling out in our streets. Yeah. 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 Jeremiah, um, there's something that you brought up the other day when we were talking um, about a police department in New Jersey that is actually doing something about uh, the situation, about the system. Mm -hmm. um, and then yesterday... In, in the uh, uh, Sunday's Washington Post, I read about it. The, the police chief of Camden, New Jersey, got on and, and he said, here's what he said, I scrapped my New Jersey City's whole police force and mm -hmm. it worked. And you guys have been uh, intricately involved in this, this whole situation. Could you fill us in a little bit there and, and uh, just tell us what happened? Yeah, so this was the past police chief of Camden, New Jersey. If you look him up online, he talks a lot about this. And there's been articles written over the past few weeks, just almost every single day coming out about this. Um, I can't go into too many details about the practical of what they did, but essentially what they did was reimagine what policing is. Camden was the most dangerous and violent city in the country. And they realized what they were doing, traditional policing, was not working. And so I wanna, wanna make sure to clarify, I'm not, I'm not saying defund the police like you're hearing people say right now. What they did was something different. They reimagined their department. They essentially shut down their police department, started it back up again, hired brand new officers, got rid of the officers that were causing problems, built out new policies. For example, they, they published a 18 page use of force policy hmm. that is wow. now uses the standard and is one of the federal government. And every person that studies policing says, this is your standard when another police department approaches them. They are the foundation of what a good police department looks like. They still need help, I'll make that caveat. There's still problems there, there's still bad apples, there's still systemic issues in that community. But if you look at what happened based on current events, the police chief was out there marching with the protesters. There was no riots in Camden, New Jersey, but they did the hard fight of earning back the love and the respect of their community and doing what they needed to do to actually show the community that they were together with them to help solve the problems of crime in their community, mm -hmm. but also to help solve the other problems. They positioned themselves as a guardian and as a problem solver, not as a warrior or a tax collector in their community. Yeah. Yeah. So it's awesome. amazing. Yeah. And I think it's important too, to because uh, you mentioned the whole defund the police um, 
uh, phrase that we've heard a lot. Uh, I know that as we've talked and had personal conversations along these lines the last few weeks, I've learned a ton from you that I did not know about this. And um, I'm sure many of you, if you remember back a few weeks ago to the death of George Floyd and um, as the, the history of the officer that, that took his life came out, that there was something in the neighborhood of like 18 complaints mm-hmm. that had been filed against him in his career up to that point. Um, and so we were talking about this one day and you said, well, you know, because we're like, how can how can a police officer that's had mm-hmm. this many complaints been brought up? How can this happen? And you you came back it's like, well, you know that this is why. And I was like, no, I did not know that. So <laughs> enlighten us. That, that And this is what we're talking about. We're mm-hmm. talking about the system yeah. is set up to where even police departments themselves are handcuffed in what they can and cannot do. Mm-hmm. So I. Yeah, I want to start by saying the officer that we're talking about today was not very different. Um, We see this happen in a lot of departments across the country where when someone is finally held accountable, we see this history of violations. Mm -hmm. For example, there's a study from 2017 that found that 500 current and former Minnesota police officers had been convicted of a crime. Convicted. So I want to clarify, this is not the complaints like we're talking about in this instance. This is the court has found them guilty of a crime. And they're still officers. And 75% of them were never disciplined by their departments. And we're not even talking fired. We're saying there was no discipline. There was no letter of reprimand like in this situation for, for two of those instances out of 18. There was never any punishment. The problem is, even when they were punished, even when the police chief or sheriff was willing to step out, their unions instantly automatically stepped up to protect them, which is what they pay their unions to do. And I want to make the caveat, officers deserve due process just as individuals convicted of other crimes Mm -hmm. deserve due process. But these unions consistently over and over again have these officers reinstated back to their exact role, regardless of the crime, regardless of the complaint, regardless of the problem, and regardless of how bad the community would agree that officer is at his role or how violent or unethical they are proving Unions consistently over and over again can reinstate those officers. And many police chiefs and sheriffs, they want to do the right thing, but their hands are tied by the union contracts. And that's actually one of the things they did in Camden. When they restarted the police department, Mm -hmm. they threw the old contract away. They said, no, no more are we going to lack transparency. Are we going to allow officers to do things and not be held accountable? We're going to start holding our officers accountable from day one. Mm -hmm. Now, there are still problems there, but they've done that. Um, And I do want to also talk about another issue because people might be saying, oh, well, if the department doesn't do it or the criminal justice system doesn't do it, we can still sue them for to get the harm repaid through civil court. It's not true. Um, There's a doctrine that's been talked about a lot. And actually, I'm excited because a legal doctrine is actually being talked about in the media um, called qualified immunity. This is a defense that officers can present that puts the burden on the individual who was harmed to prove that there is an exact case where another court has ruled that that conduct was illegal or unconstitutional. And the problem is this doctrine, it's not found in the Constitution. It's not found in the statutes that Congress passed to allow individuals to sue government officials. This is an entirely judge-made doctrine that there is no backing in our laws or Constitution for. And to show you how clearly judges have been kind of cutting the hairs here to protect officers, um, we had an instance of a case this year that actually went to the Supreme Court that people wanted the Supreme Court to take up and finally clarify that this doctrine is unconstitutional. In this instance, the individual was attacked by a police dog after the officer had let it go, after he had already surrendered to them. He got on his knees and lifted his hands and surrender, and the officer still allowed the dog to attack him and bite him. 
The judges in that case said that those officers could not be held accountable, even though it was unconstitutional and it was unethical because of qualified immunity. And the reason why is because of the case, the closest case we have is an individual laying on the ground face down when a dog bit them. Mm -hmm. And the judges said, no, 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 that's not the exact thing, so we're gonna let these officers go free. No. So those officers no. avoided accountability because the difference was laying on the ground versus kneeling with your hands raised. Mm -hmm. And that's a problem. Officers no. need to be held accountable whenever they do something wrong. Can I, can I just say, I'm so glad, that's why we need people like yourself that have kingdom values that are mm -hmm. working and have a passion for criminal justice to mm -hmm. make the system better um, and when I hear this, my first thought is that you know, I'm, I'm not a lawyer, so I don't, I can't go there. Uh, but we are the church, and I believe that yeah. we have a responsibility as the church to do what we've been called to do, to both to support these efforts, yeah. but mm -hmm. also to pray. Mm -hmm. And a friend of mine said this, and it really struck me. He said, if you show me a police department that is spiritually weak, I'll show you a community that's in danger. Mm -hmm. And I think that we oftentimes leave out or forget our responsibility to pray, yeah. not only yeah. for our community, but even pray over our police departments. Right. And if I can just give a, a quick plug yeah. Uh, yeah, for uh, our church, Light Ticket Church, we're hosting a love and unity prayer rally today. On, on, on this day. If you're watching this, you still have time to get there. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, 12 noon on J June 28th on Sunday. So we'd love for you to join us. We'll be rallying at the Pine Center in Herndon and we'll be going on a walk to the town green in downtown Herndon. So come out and join us as we pray nice. over our community mm. and we're praying over the police force. Um, so again, we invite you, all the community, to come out and be a part of that. And our church Amen. is joining in. Yes. Yes. I'll be there. And Pastor Greg yes. yes. so City yeah. Hills, come on, City come on Hills. out. Destiny yeah. Church, come on out. Wow. Thank you. That's yeah. great. Go ahead. Mike. No, I love it. That's okay. something that I'm going to borrow. Yes, <laughs> yes. yes. So, so um, we probably need to to, to wrap this. Mm -hmm. um, and I just I was trying to think. Okay, what what would I want people to walk away from today? Um, when when you hear about uh, just the whole system mm -hmm. and and the mess that's been created. Yes, we. It has to be dealt with. It it has to, it has to be done. And and, but I think that the first thing that has to change is our hearts. Mm -hmm. yes. And yeah. and then then we have something to go with. Uh, I don't think sitting on the sidelines is is an option for any kingdom person at any level. No, we not. we have mandates from on high. We've got to go do some things. The, um, the great commandment. Yes, it is. It's a commandment. And, and, and so, so we can do that. But what I would love for our church, I'm only going to speak as, as our pastor at Destiny Church. I, I don't have to wonder what these other guys are thinking. I think, first of all, we have to be willing to recognize that the black people in this country have not had the chances, the opportunities, the, 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 the benefits and blessings mm -hmm. that we haven't come, they haven't come close to mm -hmm. what we as white people have had. I, and it's just the, the, yeah. the absolute truth, it's a bottom line, and, and if we can't start there, we're missing it. This is a place, we have to start knowing that. Now, what do we do with that? Well, 
here's the other part of this. <laughs> uh, my, my first thought as a dad, as a pastor, I want to go in and, and rescue people. But I, sometimes when I think about that, I kind of think I need to go in and be with people because I might need to get rescued. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it, because I might have heart issues mm-hmm. that I have to deal with. Yeah. One of the, I mean, when people have been so disparaged for so long, um, there is an innate brokenness mm-hmm. already there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I need to break. Mm-hmm. There's some brokenness I need. Yeah. I need I need to be with. Yeah. And I need then I need to stand with. Mm-hmm. And and if I can speak when somebody can't, I need to speak. I we're gonna get to all of these things over the next few weeks. But I want us to just realize the yes. disparity between the races. We we've we focused on black and white issues in this whole thing. The whole the mm-hmm. series is in black and white. This is a huge disparity. Mm-hmm. It, everything has been set way before our time. I mean, this mm-hmm. has been going on for decades and decades. It, it, you know, the the white people, we have privilege. We have we have a, a level of, of and I hate the buzzwords because we get lost in those things. I don't wonder if I go for a walk. Am I going to get arrested? Am I going to get yeah. shot for being in the wrong place? I, it, it never enters my mind. Mm-hmm. And that's not how everybody in this country lives. Yeah, right. And, and so, so we've got to start there. I think I want to read this out of Hebrews chapter 12. And um, this, is, this is actually for me. <laughs> and I, I hope for many others. See to it that you do not reject him, God, or refuse to listen to and heed him who is speaking to you now. For if the Israelites didn't escape when they refused to listen and heed him who warned and divinely instructed them here on earth, revealing with heavenly warnings his will, how much less shall we escape Mm -hmm. if we reject and turn our backs on him who cautions and admonishes us from heaven? Mm, yeah. Let us therefore, receiving a kingdom that is firm and stable and cannot be shaken, offer to God pleasing service and acceptable worship with modesty and pious care and godly fear and all. For our God, this is New Testament. This isn't not this isn't the Old Testament, right? Our God is indeed a consuming fire. fire. <laughs> That's strong, folks. Yeah. That is that is so strong. Yeah. And and I just if if I could have one prayerful hope today, it's that we listen, yeah. we see, we learn, we humble ourselves. And we commit to do whatever it is that God asks of us to do. Yes. I, that, that would that would just that would change everything. Yeah. Yes. Just if yeah. the if the believers, if the Christ followers in this country, if we could just do this, yeah. if we could see what we've heard today and, and act on that. I think God so will good. do some great things. Yeah. I have great hope for Absolutely. what the church is that, this could be. Look, if I add something real quick, you, quick. you sure you sure can. None of us had anything to do with slavery, but the awful sin of slavery did something to the human heart, uh, create a 
conscious or unconscious bias towards a class of people, and that is the black person. Uh, and and the, um, the, um, the, the scripture that you reference is spot on. And God is calling us his body as part of his redemptive plan to be his hands to bring about healing in the world. We are the yes. light of the world. We are yes. the salt of this earth. God is not going to come down himself. We have his spirit yes. that resides in us. Mm -hmm. And he wants us to be his human agent to bring about change, transformation in the life of people. Here's what King Solomon talked about. This is from the uh, uh, Good News Translation. Proverbs 3, 27 to 28. He says, never walk away from someone who deserves help. Mm. Your hand is God's hand for that person. Yes. Mm, so never good. tell your neighbors to wait until tomorrow if you can help them now. Wow. So for each of us, God is saying, yeah. I, I can use your hand <laughs> to fix this mess. I can so use good. your heart. I can use your sympathy, wow. your understanding, your love, your kindness, your forgiveness, your compassion. Mm -hmm. As the body of Christ, God says, represent me in your neighborhood. God is love. God is forgiving. God is merciful. God is compassionate. God is gracious. Mm -hmm. uh, and if we just started there to reach out, boy, it will really heal a lot of the ravages of what was caused centuries ago. Yes, we've got the legal piece. Yes, we've got the things mm -hmm. that we want our legislators to fix. But at a human level, each of us, understanding what we have to deal with, and the ripple effect of that, how that has had a generational burden mm -hmm. yeah. on people who yes. are not even born. Yes. yes. And it, the it black child who was born today will come and confront this issue wow. mm -hmm. unless we do something about it. So. And I believe the church will. Yes. I really do. I think we're in a new place today. Absolutely. Jeremiah, you have a couple books. Uh, would you just uh, tell us what they yeah. are? Yeah, so there are two books. If you want to learn more about the topics and the things that I was talking about from some different perspectives that I would recommend you purchasing on Amazon or some other service, uh, Ending Overcolonization and Mass Incarceration by Dr. Anthony Bradley. It's a great overview of the problems that I was talking about today from overcriminalization all the way to the back end with incarceration. Then I'd also recommend um, a book by Dr. Elizabeth Hinton, From the War on Poverty to the War on Crime. This delves a little bit more into how poverty is so interwoven with the criminal justice system and how both of those cycles keep people trapped hmm. and go to some of the points that you made today. So check that one out as well. And we'll have this pulled up on the screen so you can yeah. find them. Thank you so much. So Guys, thank you for joining thank you us so today. Much. You. Oh, thank man. You. Every week it's just, I learn so much. Yeah, it's just amazing. Jeffrey, um, would you pray for us yes. and um, just ask God to, to continue to lead us and guide us as we walk through this yeah. together? Father, we thank you for this conversation we've been able to have today. Uh, thank you for my brothers Mike and Jeremiah for coming and sharing uh, their wisdom with us. And your word tells us, we read it at the beginning, in all of our getting, get wisdom. In all of our getting, get understanding. And I pray, Lord, that as we go through these conversations, one more time, God, open our hearts. Let us open our hearts and allow you to highlight anything in us, whether conscious or unconscious, that needs to change. Lord, don't let us be afraid. Don't let us hide in the dark spaces of our hearts and minds and not 
confront things that need to be confronted, Lord. Help us, God, with your word and with your spirit to cut out anything in us personally, Lord, that would prevent us from being part of the solution, that would prevent us from being your hands, your feet, your voice to a world that is hurting and dying. And I pray a special anointing on specifically our three churches represented here today, that we would be at the forefront of this conversation, not just uh, not just talking about it, God, but give us wisdom and direction and understanding. Lead us, Holy Spirit, in what we can do individually, but also collectively as churches to bring about justice and righteousness your kingdom come your will be done on earth in the united states of america in the state of virginia in loudon county as it is in heaven and we give you thanks and we give you praise for it in jesus name amen 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 thank you dorian 12 o'clock today yes where it's gonna we're gonna meet at the pine center in herndon and then we're going to be doing a walk over to the town green just behind the Herndon Fortnightly Library. So join us for the prayer walk and also for the prayer uh, rally that we do at the town green. That's that'd be amazing. We're going to be there. We'll see you guys there next week. We're starting to make a shift and we're going to start talking about what God wants us to do, who he wants us to be. Where do we start with this and what it would look like if we become the church that God has called us to be. The church is not some irrelevant thing on the side. The church is the answer to this problem, in my opinion, uh, and we just need to be that church. God bless you guys so much. It's great to have you here, and we'll see everybody next week. See you next week. All right. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you. You give life. You are love. You bring light to the darkness, you give hope, you restore every heart that is broken. Great are you, Lord, it's your breath in the
Oh 